Well, people of God, while we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't the gospel good news? Christ died for the ungodly. There is no hope without this gospel. Christ is our only comfort in life and in death. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And so, Christians, you need the gospel because it is the power of God not only to save you, but also to sanctify you and to keep you in the one true faith to the end. For therein, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. We need the gospel. And what is the gospel? It is the good news about the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question this evening. Do you know him? Children, do you know him? I'm not just asking whether you know about Jesus. Do you know Jesus personally, savingly? Do you know him? The apostle John tells us the purpose of his writing this writing of this gospel in John chapter 20 the apostle John says and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book but these are written here's the purpose these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that by believing ye might have life through his name this is indeed the purpose of all scriptures, right? Of all scriptures, that, that you may know Christ and have life through his name. All scriptures proclaim to us the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. And so Christians, this passage, John 1 verses 1 through 18, is for you because this passage proclaims to us who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And the Christian wants to know his Savior more, right? This is the cry of a Christian. I want to know my Savior. I want to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the longing of the believer's heart is this. Who is this wonderful Savior? I want to know him better. Isn't this what David says in Psalm 27? One thing have I asked, have I desired of God. One thing, and what is that? That I would seek after God, that I may dwell in the temple of the Lord. This was the longing of David's heart, and this is the longing of the believer's heart as well. And so this evening, even as we sang Psalm 23, your good shepherd is speaking to you and feeding you with his word. 
And so as we come to the prologue of John's gospel, John declares to us the identity of Christ, who he is, and calls us again. God calls us to rest in Christ alone for our salvation. Knowing and pursuing Christ is an unending source of comfort, right? This is what gets us through the trials of life, through the ups and the downs, as we go through the valley of the shadow of death. What keeps us is Christ. And the more we know him, the more we have hope that will never put us to shame. God wants us through the patience and comfort of the scriptures to have hope. And so the theme of our sermon this evening is this, God calls you, God calls you to believe on Christ, his only begotten son and worship him. This is the simple theme that I bring to you this evening. God calls you from his word to believe on Christ, his only begotten son and worship him. As we consider that main theme, We'll work our way through our sermon text under four headings. We see here four glorious truths about Christ. Four glorious truths about who he is. And those will be our four headings. Number one, Christ's eternal existence. Secondly, his eternal communion with the Father. Thirdly, his incarnation in time. And then fourthly, his great salvation. And so firstly, our first heading then, Christ's eternal existence. Christ's eternal existence. As we just read, congregation, people of God, the Apostle John here is teaching us the most profound and glorious truths in the universe in such simple terms that a child can read and understand, yet the greatest of theologians must bow in worship and in wonder, in awe and in adoration before this glorious Christ whom John proclaims. And so John begins, John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, as you hear those words, especially children, as you hear those words in the beginning, you should be thinking of the very first verse of the Bible, right? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God made all things, right? Ex nihilo, of nothing, out of nothing, by the word of his power, in the space of six days, and all very good. And John here, in John 1.1, is making a connection. He echoes the language of Genesis 1.1 to proclaim to us a very important truth. Jesus Christ was there when beginning began. 
In the beginning was the Word, and so before the heaven and earth were created, before there was any creation, before time, before space, before matter, before Genesis 1-1, Christ was with God eternally. Christ exists from all eternity with God, and therefore Christ is God. Since God alone is eternal, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. Verse 2 says, the same was in the beginning with God. Now, how can the word be with God and also be God, right? That's what verse 1 says. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. How can this be? Well, brothers and sisters, this is the doctrine of the Trinity. When John writes in verse 1, the Word was with God, he's teaching us that the Father and the Son are two distinct persons. And when he says, and the Word was God, he's teaching us that this eternal word, the glorious Son of God, God, is equal with the Father in essence and glory. Do you see that? The Father and the Son are two distinct persons, and yet they are the same in substance, in essence. The only true and living God is the triune Jehovah, He's the maker of heaven and earth. He alone is the creator. And everything that was made is part of the creation. He is the creator. And so in the beginning, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit created the heavens and the earth. God eternally exists in three persons. Here we see the doctrine of the Trinity. The Shorter Catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, quote, There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory, end quote. Now let me give you three other verses, and there are so many more, that teach us that God is triune. The only true and living God is triune. Matthew 28, verse 19 says, our Lord Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them, listen, in the name, singular, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. One name, three persons. The Apostle Paul gives a Trinitarian benediction in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. And then in 1 John 5, 7, God's word says, For there are three, three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. That's why the Athanasian Creed says, quote, We worship one God in Trinity, and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance, end quote. And so, 
John is here proclaiming to us in verses 1 and 2 the eternal existence of the Son of God. Jesus Christ is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. How do we know that? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, of course, there are many false religions and cults that deny this. They reject the doctrine of the Trinity. They even teach, like the JWs, that Jesus was a created being, that he's part of the creation. Well, as we continue in our exposition and get to verse 3, I want you to see that verse 3 makes that impossible. It's impossible for Jesus to be a created being because of verse 3. Verse 3 says, look, all things were made by him. By who? By Jesus, the word. All things were made by him. And listen, without him was not anything made that was made. Isn't that amazing? What an amazing statement, right? The stars, the galaxies, the planets, the earth, and the fullness thereof, dirt, birds, fish of the air, people, trees, clouds, all things were made by the Word. Now, if everything was made by the Word, then the Word himself could not be made. Does that make sense? The Word himself could not be in the creation category if he's the one who made all things. The Word is eternal. The second person of the Trinity. Colossians 1 verse 16 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Again, what an amazing statement. All things were made for King Jesus, for his glory. And so in Colossians 1.15 when the Bible calls Jesus the firstborn of every creature, it's not saying that Jesus was created, but it's saying that Jesus Christ has the preeminence, the preeminence. Jesus Christ is supreme over all creation. There is no one like Jesus because he is the only begotten Son of God. This is why as Christians, we don't just follow Jesus. Yes, we follow Jesus. But we also worship Jesus as God Almighty. We worship Christ. And we go out and tell the world to praise Jesus or they will perish. We tell the world if you don't worship Jesus, you will die in your sins. Jesus Christ is, overall, God blessed forever. And so that's why Psalm 2 says, for example, even to the civil magistrates, to the kings, to the rulers, to the judges of the earth, kiss the Son. Kiss the Son, or you will perish. But blessed are all who trust, put their trust in Him. And then in verse 4, John continues to tell us about this 
person, this glorious Christ. And John says in verse 4 that Jesus Christ is the giver of all life. Look at it, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 1 John 5 verse 20 says that Jesus is the true God and eternal life. Did you hear that? Jesus Christ is eternal life. And he gives eternal life to all those who put their trust in him. Verse 5, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Man, every verse is so glorious, isn't it? What a great statement verse 5 is. And it needs to encourage our souls, even as we see wickedness around us. Listen, the light of the gospel will shine and darkness will never be able to overcome it. The light of the gospel will shine forth. The power of darkness, the power of evil, cannot receive nor overcome the light of Christ. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He declares in John 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So the word that John has been proclaiming to us is a divine person, not a force, not some impersonal energy, but a divine person, God, the eternal Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds. And that brings us to, that, to our second heading, the second glorious truth about Christ that we see in these verses his eternal communion with the Father. His eternal communion with the Father. So why does the Apostle John call Jesus the Word in verse 1? Why does he say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God? Why is Jesus called the Word? Well, the Word of God is God's self-revelation, right? This is the revelation of Jehovah's character and holiness. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal word because he reveals God to us. And he reveals God's salvation. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 11 verse 27, all things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son, and listen, he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. The only way you can know the Father is if the Son reveals the Father to you. The Lord Jesus Christ Christ, that word means the Messiah. He is the Messiah, our prophet, priest, and king. And as our prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ reveals to us by his word and spirit, the will of God concerning our salvation. That's the point. That's why Jesus is called the word. 
We read this earlier in Hebrews chapter 1, didn't we? God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Jesus Christ is God's final word. Jesus Christ is God's final word. God has spoken fully and finally in his son. Jesus Christ is the gospel. He is the sum and the substance of the Old Testament. So if you read the Old Testament, and if you miss Christ, you miss the point of the Old Testament. Because he is the great theme of all scriptures. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. All the types and the shadows are fulfilled in Christ. And only Christ, only Christ can bring us to God. Because Christ alone has eternal communion with the Father from all eternity. Therefore, worship him. Worship Christ, the only begotten Son of God. So look at verse 18 with me. Verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Since when is Christ in the bosom of the Father? Since when? From all eternity, right? There was, there was never a time when Christ was not the Son. From all eternity, He's in the bosom of the Father. This is intimacy. This is communion with the Father. Joyful communion. And so verse 18 declares that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. Now, what does that mean? We must believe that. That's at the heart of biblical Christology. Who is Jesus? The only begotten Son of God. And as the only begotten Son, Jesus declares and reveals the Father to us. You see, the three persons of the Trinity are the same in substance, but they are distinguished by their personal properties. Okay? And so the Father begets the Son from all eternity. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, and the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son from all eternity. One God in three persons. And this is what we see here in John 1, verse 18. What is unique about Jesus, huh? What is unique about him? He is the only begotten Son of God. Only Christ is the only begotten Son. He's not a creature. When you hear that word begotten, don't think in terms of origin or time. When you hear that phrase, the only begotten Son, remember verse 3, right? What does verse 3 say? All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made, right? And so when we confess that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, we're confessing that He is the eternal Son of God. Begotten, not 
made. The Nicene Creed echoes the language of our sermon text. And I'm going to read just a brief section from the Nicene Creed because I want you to hear the language of our sermon text that is reflected in that confessional document. Quote, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, listen, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Now watch this. Begotten, not made. Begotten, not made. Verse 3 tells us that Jesus Christ made all things. He is not made. He is the eternal Son. Begotten, not made. Uh, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. End quote. And so, people of God, this glorious and eternal Christ, who is in the bosom of the Father from all eternity, came into our world and became man. And this brings us to our third heading, the third glorious truth about Christ, his incarnation in time, his incarnation in time. So look at verse 14. And the word... The Word, the eternal Word, the maker of heaven and earth, the only begotten Son of God, the Word was made flesh. That's the incarnation. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. What kind of glory is it? The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Aren't you thankful to hear that? That Jesus Christ is full of grace and truth? Because I'm a sinner and I need the grace of God. And so do you. When you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, His grace will never run out because He is full of grace and truth. Truth that makes us free frees us from our bondage of sin and brings us into communion with God. We need Jesus Christ, the eternal word made flesh. So verse 14 is teaching us that the eternal Lord, the Son of God, assumed a true human nature, body and soul, and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt, can also be translated as tabernacled among us. The word tabernacled among us. Jesus Christ is the true temple by whom God's glory dwells among his people. Again, the Shorter Catechism says, quote, Christ, the Son of God, became man by taking to himself a true body and a reasonable soul, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary and born of her, yet without sin, end quote. This is the wonder and the glory of the Word who was made flesh. God became man. 
This is what 1 Timothy 3 verse 16 says. Listen, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. The wonder of wonders in the incarnation, the eternal God, God the Son, came into our world. And John says, we beheld his glory. Now, many of you may not know, but I was born and raised in a Hindu family back in India all my life till around age 19 when I met Christians for the very first time. When I saw a a Christian that I could touch first time at age 19. Prior to that, all my life, I was raised in Hinduism. And as a Hindu boy, I worshiped these gods, these idols with my parents. In my parents' kitchen, there was this little shrine with different idols, Ganesh and Shiva and different gods that were there. And every evening we offered some food to these idols and, and, and worshipped them and then went to bed. And I remember one time, maybe I was 11 or 12, but one time I remember waking up in the middle of the night and going into the kitchen, opening the kitchen door, maybe I was thirsty, wanted some water, and I turn on the lights and I see these roaches scurrying around. And there was these roaches climbing up and down these idols in the shrine in my parents' kitchen. And they were eating the food that was offered to these idols. And I remember thinking to myself, how can these idols be God? They can't even protect themselves. They are helpless. They're at the mercy of the creatures. These rodents are more powerful than these gods. They can't even protect their own food. Are they really God? Now the Lord later in my life used that experience to even help me see the vanity of idolatry. But the point is this, the word glory means heaviness. When we say that God is glorious, we're confessing that God is not like the false gods and the idols of the world. The idols have no glory. They have no weight. They have no substance. They're empty, they're vain, and they cannot save. But Jehovah is glorious. He is glorious, the only true and living God. And Jesus Christ has the glory. The glory is of the only begotten Son of God. Now remember, When Moses went up on the mountain to meet with God, and when he came down, his face was shining to the point that he had to put a veil because people couldn't look at his face. And over time, that glory faded away. What was Moses? What kind of a glory was that? Well, Moses was a creature. And as a creature who has met with God, he was reflecting God's glory that was bouncing off of his face. It was not Moses's glory. It was the glory of the Lord shining, bouncing off of the face of Moses. 
But when Jesus Christ is said here, we beheld his glory, when we speak of the glory of Christ, it is not some derived glory. It is not some reflective glory. The glory of Jesus Christ is his intrinsic glory, the divine glory, because Jesus is God, the same in substance with the Father and the Spirit, equal in power and glory. And so here John says, we beheld his glory. Think of the Mount of Transfiguration, right? When the glory of Christ burst forth through the veil of his humanity, we beheld his glory. What kind of glory? The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Christ shares the same glory as the Father, because in Christ dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily, right? That's Colossians 2, 9. So the end of verse 14 says he's full of grace and truth. Now here's another connection with the Old Testament. In Exodus 34, God proclaims his name to Moses. And listen to what God says in verse 6, Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, Jehovah, God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Did you hear that? Abundant in goodness and truth. So Jehovah is merciful and abundant in, in, in truth. And this is exactly what John tells us about Jesus. That Jesus is full of grace and truth. Jesus, Jehovah saves. God in the flesh. This is what we need, don't we? This is what we need this evening. This is what we need every day of our lives, the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need a gracious and merciful Savior who can make us free by His truth. And this brings us to our final heading, our final heading, His great salvation, His great salvation. Now, in the style of the Heidelberg Catechism, let me ask you this question. How do these truths comfort us? So what? What benefit do we have in light of these truths? How do these great truths comfort us? Here's the answer. The eternal word was made flesh for us and for our salvation. For us and for our salvation. So the Apostle Paul declares in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You see, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot help ourselves. But do you know the good news of the gospel? God helps those who cannot help themselves. God raises the dead. God is the help of the helpless, and he has provided help for us to justify us, to sanctify us, and to bring us to glory. He has given us 
the only begotten Son of God. Look to Christ, your all-sufficient Savior. Our salvation is only by the grace of God. And this is what we find in Christ. Look at verse 16. And of his fullness have we all received, what? And grace for grace. Sinners and saints, flee to the Savior, and you will find grace unending. In Christ we have redemption. Verse 17 says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Again, what a profound statement. What's the point of verse 17? Here's the point. Jesus Christ is better and greater than Moses. Infinitely better than Moses. Because Moses was a sinner saved by grace. But Christ is the Savior who saves sinners like Moses and like you and me. Moses proclaimed the holiness of God. Moses proclaimed our need for the Savior who alone can bring us to God. But Jesus Christ is the Savior that Moses proclaimed. Jesus Christ is the hope and comfort of Moses. And he's the comfort of all of God's people. He's the only redeemer of God's elect, the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God, became man, and so was and continueth to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus Christ, the God-man, who died on the cross for our sins according to the Scriptures, and He was buried, and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And so consider His great salvation. Verses 11 through 13. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But, but, as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become what? The sons of God. Isn't that amazing? We who were God's enemies are now made His sons. We who once were separated from the commonwealth of Israel, aliens and strangers, have now been brought near through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, and through Him we become the adopted sons and daughters of God. Here we find this great and comforting doctrine of adoption. God has adopted us into His family. Those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that's the only way to become part of God's family, right? The only way. We're not saved by our ethnicity or the color of our skin or our Jewishness or our Christian upbringing. We are saved, all of us, sinners, one and all, the same way, by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. And those who put their trust in Christ are received into God's family as His children. 
But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which are born, which were born, how? Not of blood. You're not saved by ethnicity, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but listen, but of God, but of God. Salvation is by grace of God. Those who believe on Christ are justified and adopted into God's family. Christian, meditate upon these great truths of justification and adoption. You know why? Because this will give you hope as you go through trials. And remember this, how do you know that you will make it to glory? How do you know that you will not be lost along the way? You know that you will make it to glory if you have put your faith in Christ because God has justified you and adopted you. And he will never unadopt you. Those whom he has accepted in the beloved, he will never abandon. The Lord Jesus Christ is mighty to save, and he saves us not halfway, but he saves us to the uttermost. In our justification, which is an act of God's free grace, God pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. And even that faith whereby we're united to Christ is the gift of God. We're not saved by our law keeping or our good works or circumcision or the mere waters of baptism. No, no, we are saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And adoption is that act of God's free grace, whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. This is glorious. This is glorious because you can go to your father any time of the day in prayer, right? You don't have to wonder if God is going to be annoyed with you, if you keep on praying or if you keep on running to him, listen, he's your father in heaven. You are adopted into God's family. You have access to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ. And that access will never be removed because Jesus Christ is a perfect savior. And he saves us and brings us to God and keeps us by faith in him through the gospel those whom christ saves he eternally secures first john 3 1 says behold what manner of love the father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of god praise be to god there is no other savior congregation christians is there any unbelievers present here there is no other savior Repent and look to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And finally, Christians, 
Christians, look to your Savior as you pursue holiness, right? Look to your Savior. That's the key. We don't grow in sanctification by our own efforts or by our own understanding, but by reliance upon our all-sufficient Savior, Jesus Christ, who is made unto us, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Christ is our sanctification. In light of these glorious truths, how do we respond? Worship Christ and rest in Him alone for your salvation. Look to Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen. Let us stand as we pray.